0: Hello and welcome to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and today we're going to be discussing what for some advisors is a conversation with themselves that is long overdue. Because rehoming clients can be particularly painful for most advisors for a variety of reasons, it gets put on the back burner time and again. For an expert approach to dealing with this often tough decision and subsequent discussion, today we're welcoming Diane McPhee, business coach with DMAC Consulting, to the program. Diane is a professionally certified business coach, working primarily with financial advisors. Ms. McPhee earned her certified financial planner designation in 1989. Diane had operated a successful sole proprietorship for 16 years from 1989 until she sold her private fee-only financial planning practice in January 2006. She served in 1993 as the president of the Northern New Jersey Chapter of the FPA and served three years on the National Board of FPA, excuse me, NAPFA. Yes. She was the conference chair for the Northeast Mid-Atlantic Regional 2006 Conference as well. Diane has been on CNBC a number of times as a repeat guest and on CBS for Wall Street Week. She also featured in Wall Street Journal, Cosmopolitan, Consumer Reports, More, Fortune, and Ladies Home Journal. Diane has been featured in a number of conferences over the years, presenting on a variety of practice management challenges that many advisors face and how to approach them with a plan. In her consulting work, Diane focuses on attaining higher levels of efficiency, productivity, and revenue. She offers advice on the nuts and bolts of managing your business, as well as navigating the challenges of continuity and succession planning. As a practice management consultant, Diane strives to enable her clients to attain results with their definition of success. Diane, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to have you with us back again today. Thank you,
1: Dave. It's a pleasure to be back.
0: Diane, I think we can all agree that there are several occasions when financial advisors have to have tough conversations with clients. I think we've all been there at some point, but from the 10,000-foot view, some clients just aren't as good a fit and probably aren't as profitable as others, and that's really the goal in developing your practice is to make it run as well as you can, maximize revenue when you can without being unreasonable about fees, and work with people you can really help. Tell me about the benefits to advisors who consider referring out A few of those less than optimal clients, the ones who aren't inherently bad, they just don't fit the niche or take up an inordinate amount of time for the size of their billable account.
1: Yes, uh, sure. The benefits of taking the courage to follow through on this endeavor are, are the following. Once these tough conversations are held, you will feel so much lighter, liberated, less burdened and certainly energized. Another benefit is the potential higher amounts of revenues across fewer clients to service. This commonly occurs because you now have the time that was previously getting hijacked by several service needs, and you can now take that time and pay far more attention to your ideal clients. Doing so results in more investable opportunities over time, not guaranteed, but very possible. Uh, It also unleashes significant staff capacity previously expended on these folks thereby providing you the opportunity to delegate more to your staff. This sets you up to focus on business development and growth. Targeting ideal clients becomes much more clearer for the entire firm once the client roster is scaled down, keeping those clients who support the firm. And with this knowledge, the team and the owner can create a specific marketing plan to follow in a disciplined manner
0: see that's a terrific insight especially that last bit about the marketing program because we've been talking about that for literally years on this program and i think that's one of the best reasons to back all this up now if you're looking through your book how do you make the determination that certain clients are more well suited or more profitable than others how do you identify this group in the first place
1: yeah honestly it begins with a gut check you know your clients you can pick out the most demanding and less appreciative ones you know who you do not enjoy, no matter what their fee is, and admittedly, a low fee makes the situation even more unpalatable. Another factor is, do they pay a fair fee? Of course, this is your call. It is on you to charge accordingly. That is your duty as a business owner. Do you like them? Do you share a good laugh together? Have you grown, cro- uh, have you grown close uh, due to a painful life event? This connection or lack thereof matters. Are they responsive? Are they cooperative? Are they engaged? Do they ask great questions? Are they trying to challenge and vigorously debate you? Do they refer other great clients? Each of these issues I have just raised directly or indirectly impacts profits, though many do not see that easily.
0: Now, see, that's a a good series of, of possible and profitable benefits to doing this that it's a lot of work. Is there a way technology can help us do some of this work and making this selection?
1: Yeah, Dave, that's a very astute question because technology is not often linked to selecting the clients to refer out. And my answer is an enthusiastic yes. If the financial advisors are juggling a few balls in the air while holding one client meeting after another back to back, well, then who is capturing and storing pertinent, valuable client content in an efficient manner? How are they doing that? The CRM is a treasure trove of excellent business development information if it is populated often and carefully. Of course, it would also inform the decision on who might be the best to refer out uh, by checking the historical notes and the activity on the account. Support staff and operations folks, they get buried themselves in an avalanche of client-related service requests. Many are on on unanticipated requests. So I contend that deliberate, strategic, and proactive use of your technology positions you to anticipate client needs versus being reactive to them. Make sure everyone in the firm can access key information through a strong technology platform. Cultivate and foster the staff's buy-in. Your suite, your technology suite, Plus, perhaps customize Excel spreadsheets that you may like to use, which is perfectly fine, and maybe even time tracking programs can serve you well. Uh, Personally, I'm not a fan of time tracking by the hour, another topic for another day. (laughs) But the lesson here is that you carefully assess your needs, evaluate your technology choices carefully, and use the programs to their fullest potential. Uh, what will what will you do that you know? What will do that for you? Uh, I'm sorry. What will that do for you? You will have full command of your clients, your service model, your revenues, your financial metrics, and your practice.
0: And that technology platform really is a window into exactly how your business operates, and learning how to use it effectively is is probably one of the biggest profit boosters that advisors can undertake. Mm-hmm. But uh, from a business standpoint, though, is there a protocol? for referring clients out of the practice? I mean, you wouldn't want to sort of dump the whole list in one week. That's going to put a pretty serious debt in your cash flow.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I will not go so far as to say there is one and only one protocol. Each firm, uh, due to their size, their staff, the number of clients they're servicing, each firm is unique, and everyone arrived at their current client roster in a number of different ways. I personally recommend with my coaching clients to batch a carefully uh, – to. to um, Batch the clients first, compose a carefully crafted communication message, perhaps different uh, as it pertains to each recipient group. And whether you do this in person, video, or phone, in addition to email communication, all of these may be utilized. My work with my clients is very focused on how do we correctly craft just this message. Uh, This is not a step to blow through. Everyone deserves to be treated with respect and dignity.
0: I would think that letter would be really key to communicating this properly and delicately and accurately and repeatedly so that you're getting consistency and and nobody's really latching on to any one particular thing. But it sounds personalized and and direct. That would seem to be a key to me. So the point of all this is to essentially grow the practice beyond where it sits because you now have more freedom and more control and more profit. Do you have to have the growth plan in hand first before you start to send some of these less appropriate clients on their way?
1: Uh, my bias is no. I advocate to clean house first. Take a deep breath, applaud yourself for a tough job well done, and then move on to your growth plans. Begin anew and fresh to rally the troops You know for growth activity ahead. To do this effectively, you can collaborate as a team and you can decide who will do what by when. And, and you state that broader goal, and then you ensure complete clarity with the team. You drill down to specific action steps supporting the overall vision, creating quarterly targets in terms of client termination, and then new client numbers is a great way to go.
0: So you sort of want to stage it and keep a good handle on your data so that the trough doesn't happen all at once, but neither does the growth layer over the top of it directly. Mm-hmm. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's a good plan to sort of meter all that out. But the success of that growth plan really dictates the speed of that transition, Um, especially in in a fully exclusive niche where you're really focused and targeted on one particular group. The faster your growth plan replaces or adds new clients, the more rapidly you can transition out the less appropriate ones. Isn't that true?
1: Yes, that that is true. Um, Every every firm operates differently. Uh, I, I will repeat myself and recommend that you clean house first because I feel emotionally it frees you up. And it liberates you to pursue new levels of growth. When you free up the capacity and and you and you're able to get focused, you will get to it. And and why do I see it that way? In my coaching, many advisors they experience fatigue. Um, how excited are you going to be growing your firm with even more bodies if you are overwhelmed with servicing a number of less than ideal clients? So so to your point, in terms of pace, the transition of clients out of the firm must not drag on forever. You are absolutely correct. and It's got to be moving. You got to keep it going. Um, I have an unusual yet helpful anecdotal example from one of my coaching clients. For years, she operated on an hourly and or project basis platform a very respected veteran over 20 years in the profession, she faced the daunting task of slimming down a loosely constructed client list of, are you ready for this? 700 people. Wow. Yeah. Now she has a staff, but still, and this is, you know, the only firm. Some engaged her over five to eight years ago. So we wanted everyone who was not going to sign on to the new service of ongoing financial planning and to be billed quarterly, we wanted those to be referred to other local advisors. She was no longer going to continue business as usual on an hourly or project basis. So we batched the emails and letters in appropriate sets, and then we kicked it off. And and many of these folks have been missing in action for years. So the long and short of it was that 700 people was whittled down to 400 people, and ultimately to our idealist today of 150 ongoing clients, And, and all the others were amicably terminated. Um, and, and did it require patience and persistence? You bet. You, you must hang in there and see it to the end. Yet, taking this step will bring you joy and return zest back to your practice.
0: Now we've talked about some of the business mechanical things uh, to doing this, but you've also touched on a number of emotional triggers as well. These are tough conversations to have for the advisor. You said they were draining. Is there anything you can do to mentally prepare or, or intellectually prepare for this kind of transition?
1: Yeah, uh, that's an excellent question, Dave. It's essential to prepare mentally as well as physically. The emotional toll it takes to execute this very dreaded component of your practice is often overlooked. It can sap your reserves. Um, That is why one must ensure that they're getting enough sleep and they're eating well. Any irritation seeping into the conversations is not good. Uh, We don't want any advisor to stuff or deny the stress as it builds up. So on the opposite to that, you, you try to develop the habit of regular deep breathing. Um, I, I get kidded about this because I used to roll my eyes when people would suggest, you know, Diane, try deep breathing. But, but seriously, four slow breaths in, four, and you hold it, and then four slow out. In the middle of a, of a very stressful day, it's very calming. And, and though it sounds trivial, I, I promise you it works. It can clear your head. But, but after enough sleep, good eating, and deep breathing, you're ready to focus on execution. You, you write your script down and then you practice it. Never let it be the first time you deliver this difficult message live to the client. You must practice out loud by yourself, you know, in privacy, in your office, in your car, wherever. And, and you will be glad you did.
0: Uh, uh, preparation is always the key to a good delivery of almost anything, including something like this. Um, we mentioned that this is for growth and that you're going to be keeping a number of these clients but a number of them are leaving should you have a list of advisors uh, of other firms that you're recommending for each client based on their needs and asset size should advisors be in touch with those firms let them know their new clients coming their way i mean what a christmas present for other advisors really yes
1: Uh, yeah to answer to both of those questions yes and yes um i've been coaching for years preaching on this one singular point do your homework do the legwork and research other advisors. And of course, not only because of COVID-19, but we have a virtual world anyway. They, they, not, they, they need not be uh, local advisors. Uh, that's, that's the judgment call of the advisor. But you want to narrow down individuals to a short list of two or three financial advisors that you really like, you really respect. Um, most advisors, they stop here and they just hand out the names. No, no, no. Contact them and interview them, vet them. That is the least you can do for your clients. Uh, discuss with the advisors fully your intentions and be very clear that you want your clients to be treated very well and with the utmost care. And to your point, David is a Christmas present, so they should be, uh, you know, making sure that they do take very good care of these people coming their way. And then the two of you agree together that you can begin to send your clients over.
0: So they should be happy to talk to you about something like this, I would think.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah. Suddenly the competition is no longer the competition. They're now your friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And oddly enough, they sometimes out of uh, gratitude, whatever, they're going to refer a client that they know is your ideal client just out of gratitude. So it's a great- Isn't that wonderful how that works? Yeah.
0: Now, in in doing that, I noticed you mentioned a lot of people just set up the three names that really could have been picked out of any directory and handed over, they could have done that work themselves. But to go that extra step, do you think you should set up the introductions uh, to the new firm as a way of easing the transition?
1: Um, I'm probably a contrarian on this one, but actually I am not a fan of that technique. Uh, When when it's referral opportunities to acquire clients, then yes, of course, I think that a warm introduction from one to the other uh, is certainly appropriate. Yet, if you are letting go of the client, I believe it is best that you do not insert yourself into the new advisor conversation in any way. Let your client have the power to, to direct this process for themselves. Give them that autonomy. If they are unhappy with one of your recommendations, they can move on to the other names you provided to them. You can also express that it's acceptable to you if they need to circle back with you briefly If you know uh, to do so. No problem. Go ahead if you need my input. But always be sure to emphasize that they will be in good hands. You did you conducted due diligence, and you can only do that authentically if you did in fact vet the advisors very thoroughly yourself.
0: So you really take the pressure off them, both time wise and and sort of ownership wise. If you let them approach this at their own pace and and do what they need to do. Um, now, have you had clients who've successfully made this transition, and if so, how long did theirs take to complete? <laughs>
1: oh my gosh, Dave. Do, do, do we have a few hours? <laughs> In 12 years of coaching dozens of firms, I have always brought up this topic of, do, you know, do we need to look at your client list? Um, so, so I'm going to offer a composite answer. Um, a fair timeline, depending on your unique work schedule, is to handle communicating perhaps somewhere between 5 to 10 terminations per week. Typically, most firms do not have huge numbers, uh, such as the firm I mentioned earlier that is very much an exception uh, you know, to have such a big number. Many firms may be looking at anywhere from 10 to 30 clients. Whatever your number ultimately ends up as, be sure to pace yourself so you remain courteous and professional as you deliver this very delicate message. Uh, anecdotally, the lesson to be learned is to, of course, keep your cool. Build up your energy reserves. Do it with respect and courtesy. Hold true to your position. Do not backslide and fold. Oversee the referral process from behind the scenes. Don't insert yourself into the conversation, but it wouldn't hurt to talk to the advisor. Um, check in with the new financial advisor after a few weeks. Do all of this and you'll be way ahead of the curve.
0: Sounds like laying out the groundwork for a military attack. But uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate the severity and the seriousness of all this based on, on listening to that. It really sounds like you have to do your homework and be prepared. That's a great story. We're up on a break when we come back. We'll learn about how to control that conversation for the best results, and here's some great examples of how to get through some of these tough calls. We'll be right back.
2: Are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there, but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need. With a range of outsource options and financial planning support, Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice or put a succession plan in place. For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201. 919-4838.
0: And we're back with Diane McPhee, right-sizing your practice to evolve into a specific niche. Diane, what's the most difficult part of this transition of clients to evolve into a specific niche? What do advisors struggle with the most out of all this? Uh,
1: undoubtedly, it's the knot in the stomach syndrome. Many of the clients that are appropriate to refer out are those same clients who helped get your practice launched when you were that hungry financial advisor willing to take anyone on. Um, these legacy clients, they, they have a loyalty element uh, that makes it so hard to look them in the eye and deliver this message. In this COVID-19 era where so few in-person meetings are being held, it becomes even harder, uh, video or not. It, it's very, very tough. That, that's probably the biggest struggle is the dread attached to uh, executing on this
0: that sounds rough. Some of these people that have been there 10, 12 years and suddenly you're having to say goodbye. It's like a divorce.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Are there things uh, advisors can do to make the transition easier or run more smoothly other than the, some of the things we've talked about?
1: Yeah, um, I, I think I've adequately covered the ground uh, ground with the advice offered. Um, follow all all of what I have been recommending and I believe you will have done a, as good a job as any in this painful area. I, I will add one. Um, aspect to it, the the mental and physical uh, shape that you're in that we mentioned earlier, it will take an emotional toll on you to do this repeatedly to get through your full list of people. So try to make sure that you realize that you know uh, you you made this decision for a good reason. You are not doing anything wrong. I I, I wouldn't want people to suffer very bad guilt. Sometimes people get very upset with the anger and disappointment that they're hearing from their clients. And of course, that's not pleasant. So, so you want to prepare yourself for that, but don't take it in too deeply.
0: So that's really probably one of the most challenging parts of all this. How do you coach them through that, that sort of tough spot that they're in?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hands down. Most Most repeated quote, Diane, I could just throw up. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, um, moving on from that is a natural question. The next thing they ask themselves, which they struggle with, is: Should I really give up this revenue? And and I know it's a lot of small clients for not much money, but many of them really do not cause me a lot of work. So why should I give them away? And, and I have to say that um, people are just—they'll uh, feel guilty, and you know—is uh, there an easier way I could do this? Should I do this at all? All of that goes on. So when you approach this. Don't do it in a rush. Think, you know, again, look at the client list and just picture you having the conversations with those individuals. And again, strengthen the whole situation by picking very, very good advisors to refer to.
0: Yeah, I think, again, doing your homework, and and you've stressed this over and over, is really the key, the preparation. and, And that's mental as well. Um, what specific advice do you usually coach them through that tough spot other than preparation? Is there some other mental imagery that you can give people that they can sort of rely on?
1: I'll ask them to picture the actual appointment. I'll ask them to, you know, um, I'm not a fan of role play myself. And I'm sure my clients aren't either. It's one of those other things that people roll their eyes at. So I always, you know, prepare them by saying, look, we're not going to role play. But let's let's go through this. Tell me about the client. Give me their background. Tell me who they are. And then let's let's do uh, a little bit of what would you say to them and what do you expect them to react? You know, how, how do you expect them to react? And let's walk through your response to each of those. And, um, you know, the, I've already coached them on the emotional fatigue and, and then threading it and everything else. So after this just comes the, uh, ability to picture the appointment, picture the people in front of them because everybody is different. They, they have different ways they react. The client, uh, be prepared for those reactions. And then the way I really Uh, Dave, that I think helps as a coach is to boost up their spirits by saying, listen, once you have this behind you, you can get very, very excited about the growth that's possible once we turn this corner. And and I will applaud you on your courage to do this. Many advisors, they just don't do it. They'll just go year after year, just, you know, suffering through too much service work for too little revenue. So I applaud my uh, clients that are willing to take this uh, courageous step. And then I get them excited about what's possible.
0: So really, it's tear down, prepare, execute, and celebrate.
1: That's good, Dave. I like that. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Very, very spot on.
0: Now, uh, we've talked a little bit about how long this takes, but I'm curious, if you've got 80 clients and you're still having to service, say, 70 70 of those or so, with maybe 10% of your book being referred out. What are we looking at in terms of a time commitment to really do that with all this preparation?
1: Yes. uh, Great, great question. Um, I I would think that, you know, if you have 80 clients and 10% out, you're talking about eight people. So uh, let's say there's 10 people to refer out. I would say somewhere between two to four weeks, depending on how emotionally ready you're able to do this and also how busy is your normal work week. Um, We've been hearing a lot lately about surge. Uh, You know surge appointments nine ten in a week, which is completely fine Um, Though I think that some folks are not as prepared um, If they're thinking meeting prep will only be 15 minutes per meeting and follow-ups are only 15 to 20 minutes I don't think that's realistic. I think sometimes meeting prep and follow-up takes a lot more So when you're going to do something like this, you have to look at your current week of how many clients do you have? What's the nature of those clients? Are they easy clients or are they complex and oh, by the way, does your staff need you to be available for meeting prep and follow-up? You, know, you just don't dump that on them. And they're not going to get it done in 15 minutes.
0: Now, it occurs to me that since I've been known to procrastinate on occasion, and especially for difficult tasks um, and also sidestep occasionally, is there a way that you can do this without doing the face-to-face part of it, especially now with COVID, although it's face-to-face on a screen, it, will an email suffice? Will a letter suffice? Can you get away with that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. Let me go into that. But I'm I'm so tempted to share something with you. So I sent a belated birthday card to a client, and the cover of the card said, um, "I I procrastinate really well," and you open it up and it says, "I've become a pro." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, I love this card." It was a ber- belated birthday card. I'm like, "I love this card." So I couldn't. I just had to pop that in there. Um, but in terms of uh, uh, alternative means of communication, in order for, the most effective, for it to be the most effective and appropriate delivery, I'm gonna say that first, it should definitely be in person if, if possible, uh, though not likely in, in COVID times. Um, second would be video, third would be phone, uh, fourth would be email with a follow-up phone call. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about just an email. I, I think that's a little cold. And then uh, last resort, if there's been no response to your voicemail or email from the client to try to even have a conversation, then I would send a hard copy letter as a last resort that, you know, this is happening and it, it's going to be effective on a, on a certain date. I've, I've had that um, with a number of my clients over 12 years of coaching. We've actually sent out the letter, some, some certified saying, you know, we, we just want to make you aware that on October 30th, your account will be delinked and you will be a retail account. So, so uh, that's the last resort. You wouldn't want that to be the case. And the only other thing I want to mention is whether you're doing this, uh, in, in some cases people are having in-person, but that's a minority of, of advisors. But if, whether it's in-person video or phone, make sure that you allow enough time. Don't think you're gonna do this in 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You might be finished in 10 or 15 minutes, but don't do that where you have to rush off to another meeting and you're stressed. Yeah, the
0: outcomes are not gonna be there if you cut corners on this one. Yes. Um, now, as we're approaching sort of the end of this rather hideous year a lot of administrative and housekeeping type stuff gets pushed off to the end of the year or possibly january when everybody sets their resolutions is there really a good time of the year or a season to be in doing this kind of thing is there a better a better time to approach it um maybe it, it's linked to market conditions do do an up market help or, or does a down market make it a good time to bail out what how do we time this
1: yeah um uh- In terms of seasonal, my answer would be no season is more suitable than another. Um, I will say that, you know, January New Year resolution and after taxes and September back to school mentality, all of that is a very rich seasonal period for uh, new people reaching out to a financial advisor. But this is a very opposite situation. We're trying to decide when's the right time to... um, uh, disengage with the client. So on, in terms of a season, no. But, but having said that, sometimes following a particularly strong or a very well-received client review meeting may work well. Um, I'm, I'm leaning towards an up market is decidedly better timing than a down market. Absolutely. Because they may get uh, discontented and resentful of you and say, oh, sure, don't me in a down market when my money's less. And you leave me in the out in the cold. So, so a down market is not ideal. And though none of us can be market timers, uh, we do try to figure out. "Mm, Okay, if this is going to be, if we're in a down market already, or if it's going to be, we think one's around the corner. You, you, it's hard. That that one you can't really time. If you know you're in an up market and and you know that you want to do this, I'm one of those rip the bandaid off and just do it. Especially if there's ten people over two to four weeks. Just do it because once you turn the corner, you're going to feel so much better. Um, The other thing, too, is that many many say that clients resent their fee increase shortly before a down market because though no one saw a down market coming, some clients are very skeptical and they believe (laughs) that the financial advisor with their crystal ball knew that it was going to be a down market and therefore locked in a higher fee. That is a very ugly conversation. So so again, you have to be sensitive to this sort of thing, and you have to be sensitive to the personality of the client. Well,
0: Yeah, watching that uh, unfortunate coincidence come around the corner at you can be a little scary when yes. you've just gotten a higher fee and suddenly the market dumps and they owe you both. Not a good time to be discontinuing. No. It looks a little avaricious, especially if you're sending it in a down market going, well, he's not making enough money off me anymore. I guess he doesn't need me. That's
1: mm-hmm. You don't want to engender mm-hmm. that kind of... Uh, no, it's clients. awful. You
0: don't want to send the new guy that kind of client either. You think
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, We're almost out of time for today. Is, is there one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from today's discussion? Something, a little nugget they can apply right now in their practice today to make this happen?
1: Yes. Um, thank you for asking that, Dave. I would uh, say my best advice here is step away from the daily work and go big picture. Scrutinize your client list and ask yourself if you would take them on today as a client. Be discerning in evaluating who is a great client, who is a marginal client. And by marginal, I mean could they be upgraded to becoming a great client or should they be referred out? And then finally, who is a weak client, meaning you don't, you know, you, you don't enjoy them. You don't enjoy them, their fee might be low, that might be both. So therefore, they are definitely a candidate for referring out. So you want to determine what criteria are you going to apply to categorize them as a great marginal or weak client? And that's your call. Um, Once you do that necessary segmentation work, you're ready to take the courageous steps that we discussed today and execute your plan. And and in so doing, I I wish all of you uh, strength of conviction. I encourage you to build up your self-care so that you have your emotional reserves in place and then just do it. You can do this and I applaud your courage.
0: Wow, terrific advice. Diane, thank you so much for joining us today. And as always, a, a terrific job. And I'm sure our listeners have an awful lot to think about coming back to them, back to the office this afternoon. I hope you come back and visit us again real soon.
1: Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Dave.
0: We've been speaking with Diane McPhee of DMAC Consulting about how we have difficult conversations successfully with clients. If you have any questions about how to hold and navigate difficult client conversations or anything else you've heard on this program, Just drop us a line at fouradvisors at pinnacleadvisory.com, and we'll get you some answers as quickly as we can. You've been listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis. Until next time, thanks for listening.
2: You're listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, Pinnacle Advisory Group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such.